Hi, I'm JT White, author, digital native, and product person, obsessed with trying to find out how to make digital products and the people that make them the best we possibly can. This is Build for Better. My guest today is Walter Gear, sport bike racer, track and field all-American, multi-patent holder, biometric lab creator, Adweek 50 most important people in media, marketing, and tech, Adweek change creator of the year, American Advertising Federation's Mosaic champion, and Savoy Magazine's most influential black executives in corporate America. That's just some of where you may have heard of him. His passion sits at the intersection of storytelling, design, technology, data, and research. I am lucky to call him a friend and a mentor, someone that I have turned to in the past when I needed to navigate spaces I wasn't comfortable in, and a voice that I have learned to cherish in our space. This is Walt. So Walt, I'm so excited to have you um, to talk about the table, and I think what we should do is define what the table actually means. Wait, wait but I have to say first that I'm excited to be here with you. Thank I, you, sir. <laughs> I am thrilled to be able to have this conversation with you. So the table should be reversed. Well, I, listen, I, I'm I, like, I was so pumped. Like, one of my favorite things about doing this is just talking to people that I like. I have so much respect for that I've learned from, and you're just like, dude, the path that you've driven in the past like three years is so nuts, dude. Like, you were, I don't know, like your voice has become so important to me, and like just so everybody knows for context, like I've reached out to you once or twice during a lot of things where I was like, hey man, I don't know how to approach something right now. And I just need someone that I, I trust that's safe, that will guide me correctly. That will make, also like most importantly, will put me in my place if I'm wrong and be like, Nope, that's wrong. Like I needed that. And so having you as that voice selfishly has been amazing. And that's why I'm so excited to get, lend that voice to everybody else to, to get access to you. So I appreciate your time. Well, man. I, really well, I appreciate you, man. Let's do it. All right. So the table. So the reason I, I wanted to call it the table is because as a kid, and I'm sure you felt the same thing, you always hear about having a seat at the table or access to a table. Um, and when it comes to building products and companies, to me, um, you know, I, I feel very lucky. I've been at what I thought was a lot of tables. And then the more I got around some of these proverbial tables, the more and more I was like, I don't know, man, these all kind of look and feel the same. <laughs> like, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of diversity in these tables, which fundamentally to me means you're not building good products because yep. the best products I've ever used, regardless of how big or small, it always comes from like a varying degree of background of people driving it. So the concept today is to talk about access to the table and what the table means. So just a level set, like what does a table mean to you? And that's a good question, man. I mean, the table is, is the place where everybody wants to eat, right? The table is the place where you actually go and and kind of um, you, you, you meet, you know, it's like a coming together. It's like, you know, you think of the disciples and Jesus, right? It's like yeah. the last supper, right? This is this is where everyone comes to, to be and, and to spend time and quite frankly, where, where shit gets done, right? Decisions are made, et cetera. But if you're not at the table, it means that you're, 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 you're not a key member of a discussion that's going on. Yeah. So when it comes to your career, both like in the beginning and now, right, which I'm assuming is very different, right? Um, how did you view it? Was the table something that you you wanted access to? Was it something that you were striving for or or no? No, absolutely not. You know, I think throughout when you're earlier on in your career, I think as, even as a creative, I think your your sole purpose is to just create shit, right? Make shit that everyone engages with and sees and stuff like that. And I don't think it's until you get a little further along in your career that you start to understand the importance of what a table means, right? It's the importance of being able to really kind of 
set guidelines over the the thing that you're bringing to market, the thing that you're trying to build, the people that you're trying to do that with, right? So, you know, I don't know that I really, I mean, look, I think we all have this moment of feeling we're young, like, oh, I want to make all this money and I want to do all this cool stuff. But the further you go in your career, you the more you realize that none of that shit really matters and material things are material things. Yeah. As I kind of, even like my last four or five years started to really thoroughly understand that having a seat at that table essentially means that I can create opportunity for other people. Right. And, and so, you know, again, these are things that I think you learn later on in your career because selfishly, I think when we are younger, we are intention, we are, you know, thinking about ourselves and how can I benefit me and what can I do for me and what can I buy for me? And what are the things I could get for me? Uh, and later on, I think that turns into, you know, what can I do for others? Because you realize that life is super fucking short. And, you know, what what ripple effect can you leave when you're gone? Yeah, that's so it's so funny that you said that. Like, I've, I've been the past couple, I mean, I'm sure the pandemic did this to a lot of people, probably. But like, there was a lot of self-reflection for me during that time, both personally and professionally. But what I also realized, and I think this kind of relates to the table concept, is that so much of my identity was wrapped up in who I thought I was professionally. Mm -hmm. Like if you asked me to define myself, a lot of what I would have led with was, well, I'm a this and I'm a that. And and it's like a business card. Like I'm reading my fucking LinkedIn, which is first of all, super boring. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So then like, then you think about how that relates to actually building a, a company or a business or a product. Like if you lead with that, instead of the human side, you kind of get wrapped up in like this, the noise of all of that, like, bullshit that you sold yourself when you were young that you needed to be to be successful. So how do you like, now that you're on the other side of that, where you are inviting people in and you're trying to figure out how to raise other people up, like, how do you do that? Like, how do you go find the people or are people finding you? And if so, like, how'd you do that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's, it's kind of both ways. I think I'll, I'll sort of first start by saying that earlier on in my career, there are many times where I reached out to other people for advice, right? That were leaders and executives in like, 99.9% of the time, you would never get a response, right? You, you send that note, like, you know, you're paying for whatever 30 in-mails a month on LinkedIn, right? <laughs> like not one of them gets gets returned. So you're like, oh, well, this is a waste of my money. But, um, you know, and I always thought, well, fuck, man, I wish I could get five or 10 minutes of this person's time, like three minutes of this person's time. I would ask them this and figure out how they got to there. And I think that later on in my career, I just realized, oh, well, fuck, like I always wanted that. How come I'm not giving that opportunity to other people? So I'll be honest in saying that I try to at least respond to every single person that reaches out to me on social media, whether it be LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. I, I'm as response, responsive as possible. Uh, and I always am totally fine with, you want 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes? Cool. Let's let's make some time and we'll do it. Um, other thing I, you know, which I really kind of opened up on the past like four or so years is just being a little more vocal, right, about my personal experiences online. Because I think that what we lack to realize is that one simple post, and I don't care if you get like 5,000 people engaged with your shit or like three people, right? right? It's so easy to make an impact on someone's life by by sharing your own personal experience. Because I think that oftentimes people say, well, fuck, like, you know, wow, like I thought it was just me, right? So, you know, I share and I am as vocal as, as possible um, around tough topics of discussion and you know, the times like posts I make today is just around just being funny, right? Poking yeah. jokes with fucking strategists, right? But like my 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 point is that, you know, there's so many different ways we all can can give back or help one another. There's no right or wrong way, right? Yeah. So so I want to key in on on being vocal for a second, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things that 
I think I, I look up to you on is that you are vocal about all those things. And even that, that you know, for context, you and I got to work together for like eight minutes, I think at one point. <laughs> what about another eight and a half? But yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but in that time though, like just th- this idea of being comfortable enough in your skin to like raise your hand and be like, hey, I, actually, I want to talk about that. Let's, I want to double click on that or I have a question or I disagree. So when it comes to, you know, being in rooms where you feel that things are, or, or, or an entire group of people are underrepresented or ideas or ideology is underrepresented. Like, how do you coach people on being able to be the voice in that room to point it out? Like, how do you get comfortable in that situation? How long did it take? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, that's a tough one, man. I'll say that, you know, it is saying uncomfortable thing in front of people is a muscle that you have to work. It's really fucking hard, right? It's like the same thing like when you're in a relationship, right? It's like it's really hard to say uncomfortable things to your spouse. I have a super hard time. I'm not the best communicator. I really am not, right? So my wife will tell you that too, right? Hard. <laughs> I also say that, you know, it's, you know, it's a muscle that you have to work over time. And I think that if you understand the gravity of and the impact of, of, of what you can create when you have diverse people at a table, like it changes things. So, you know... I always tell people that, you know, you should never feel awkward or uncomfortable if you happen to be that one, you know, isolated person out of a group. And, and you know, I have black creatives come to me all the time like, well, you know, it feels really weird. What do I do? You know, how do I act in those situations? And I tell them all the time. I tell black people like, look, like that is not your crutch, right? It is your right. fucking, it's your asset, it's right? Your Brands, right. It's just because brands want to tap into what you know, but want to tap into your culture. And culture is not just like, it's not how you talk. It's like how you dress. It's like your your music. It's like your style, your fashion, so much, right? So I tell people that's that you should be overconfident when you step into those spaces because you're the one with all the knowledge to help that company or these products or things succeed. Now, I've, I've been on both sides. I've had, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work on teams that have a lot of people of color, which is amazing. I've you know, also teams that where I was the only one. Um, and even in those scenarios where I was the only one, I felt it very necessary to uh, ensure that other people that I'm working with feel comfortable around trying to tap into culture. Right. Because I think that oftentimes, you know, now the crutch is or the odd moment is for all these, let's say, non PLCs trying to tap into culture with one person of color in a room and like no one wants to say the the, the uncomfortable thing or I don't want to say the wrong thing and get fucking canceled. <laughs> like I'm just going to shut the fuck up and just like, you know, play it from 30,000 foot view. Right. And I always say, and I've, these situations, I've, I specifically told teams like, Hey, look, like if you're not going to that point of feeling like, like what you're about to say or the work you're going to do is might be inappropriate might like it's here's a safe space to go there because if you know if you don't go there then the work is just not going to come through right so so yeah. it it works both ways i think for the for the majority of the people in, in in those rooms it can be uncomfortable for the person who's you know the minority in the room it can be uncomfortable but i think you know we are in a time now that's so different than when we were 4 or 5 years ago man we're like being vocal is like okay, like it's like you're you're expected to be vocal, you're expected to speak up and speak out. And this younger generation of kids, man, is fucking crazy. Like they're stuff, they're, so, dope. they're yeah. so dope. It's so different from like from from us and our and our generation because they they expect to be heard. It's like we we want to be heard, and we're like we hope we're heard. They expect to be heard, right? And so they use 
their platforms entirely different than, than the way we do. Yeah, it's interesting. The, during, like again, self reflection, right? Like I think about the generation now because you and I, I think, are both lucky enough to be in a position to like work with and get to, to hire and see some of these kids growing. And it's like the amount of inspiration that I pull from them, and also to be completely candid, just a space of vulnerability. Like the amount of shame that I carry on some of the rooms that I was in where I didn't raise my voice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now looking back over the past like fifteen years and twenty years of my career, and going like man, you really should have said something <laughs> like, like you should have spoken up. <laughs> it's hard. I was, I was in a room with like 60 C-suite executives and one person we had this discussion around diversity and one very well-known executive dropped the fucking N-word in front of everyone. Yeah. And this person was trying to describe a situation and I, <clears throat> I handled the situation. I diffused it. I wasn't a dick, but I diffused it. And I said, yeah, you can't say that. And here's why, right? Right. But I will tell you, in a room full of like 60 fucking executives, not one said a word. Not one. Yeah, that's right. Weird. And so, and there were some, some people of color in there as well. But like, my point is that it's fucking hard. It's not easy when you've been put in the situation. Because like everyone's face, when that happened, they were like, yeah, what the fuck? What? But no one to be the one to just, hey, you know what? I don't know that we should say. And it, and I say that again it, because it is, it is a muscle that has to be worked. It's not easy. Yeah. The thing that I th- like, and this is not, and I'm not putting this on you. This is more just as I'm hearing you talk. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the things that I recognize that I'm I need to be better at, and that I really want, like, and look, I'm, I mean, my, my last name is White. Like, I can't get away from it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm White White. Like, <laughs> like the the like when you're in a room and there is no representation Mm. like that's actually where i think the real rubber meets the road on how serious you are about being a part of of getting diversity as part of your company or your org because it's 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 almost like you know maybe i'll get canceled for this it's almost easier when you have somebody to be an ally with but when you have to be the ally by yourself like that's what I look back on now in the past like 15 years. And I see rooms that I was in where I recognized it and went, eh, you know, not my problem. Yeah. Like didn't say anything. And now I'm like, no, that was your problem. dummy. And like, I look at some of the stuff we built and I'm like, you can tell that was a bunch of white dudes. Yeah. Like you can feel it. <laughs> like it feels like white dudes built that. And I don't know. I think it's, I'm excited for what's happening now. And I'm excited that we can have dialogue about this because I do think like from a, from a company culture standpoint, like if you're not building a place that's working that muscle you're talking about, like the only piece of advice I would give is like if you are working in one of those places and they don't let you build that muscle or you're hurt for building that muscle, fucking leave like yeah. immediately. Yep. So when you see this next generation coming up, like what are what are you most excited about that you think is like what's 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 going to happen? Like now that that now that the table's open, now that people are understanding and, and giving access, and people like yourself are bringing people in to these conversations, like, what do you think the after effects are? I think, well, first let's start with the why, right? I think the, the why is because, because this group of individuals, these kids are so vocal now and social media gives us the power to communicate with anyone and go viral in fractions of a minute. Um, it's put, it's put folks, it puts brands on the hook, right? So to speak, right? And no brand, like we're in a time now where brands don't want to be called on, I mean, Look at Target, right? Brands don't want to be called on on their stuff, right? So, you know, that being said, 
you know, I think that the 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 this entire industry has changed because now I think that brands want to be authentic, right? And they want to show that they're, you know, they're empathetic and whatnot. And in doing that um, means that they have to have the right people on the work, right? Like I say this time and time again, when people talk about like, oh, you know, well, yeah, but, you know, our, so we don't have that many PLCs, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, well, put a group of men together to create like a fucking tampon. That shit's not going to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's not going to fucking work because you just don't fucking get how women's body works. Right. You say you went to medical school and all that shit, but like, your body, you have not gone through what a woman has gone through. And that's just simple facts, right? So when we look at, you know, the, you know, the the spend that, you know, people of color have, I'd love billions of dollars we, we represent. And when we tap into them, it's got to be in an authentic way because they fucking get it now. And they will call you in two seconds, right? So again, uh, we're in a weird time now that I think social media and these groups of individuals have, have, have changed, had shift, excuse me, um, the 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 momentum a bit, right? And and kind of put people in a space of feeling like they have to fucking get it right because now you know brands not only have to just appease to people by the products that they create, but beyond and outside the products to create, it's like what are you doing as an organization to help make impact on some of these, some of these communities, et cetera. Yeah. So it's I think it's become really interesting, man. And I think that you know the one stress I'd say out of it all. It's for the few people like myself who are executives, like, and I don't want to say it's like putting a burden on our backs or on our shoulders by any means, but like, we have to now show up, right? Because like, when shit like can comes around the corner, and the eight or excuse me, 10 of us, you know, black CCOs aren't winning, then it's going to be like, well, fuck, why the fuck do we have to put these guys in these spots? Anyways, everyone's complaining about having to eat at the table. None of them fucking won any work awards. You know, so like, so, you know, we, we don't have to do that anymore because clearly it's not working. Right. Yeah. Right? So, so the next thing, so I also want to say this, which is like, you're, you're a lot more than just the color of your skin. Obviously. I also just respect you as like a product person. Like you're just a guy that gets how to build shit and build cool shit. And most importantly, one of the things that I've seen is like the people that work with you are, love you. Mm-hmm. like this and, and like i say that like the best thing that i can do as a product person like the thing i want to be the most proud of when this is all said and done because anything that i build is going to get turned to dust eventually it doesn't matter but it is the team like i love when my team still talk after they all disperse and like that so like moving away from like any of the burn that you have to have around being like a black anything but just being a leader yeah right like how do you approach building teams in such a way, like how, how do you build rapport in a team? And then also like, how do you build a rapport in a team specifically for the function you're trying, like the, the North star you're heading towards? Mm. That's a really good question. Building teams is really fucking hard. And anyone says it's not, is like a liar. Um, (laughs) I think that in, in, when, when being a leader, I think a good leader is someone who is not insecure, right? Because I think a lot of leaders are insecure because there's that like, I don't want to hire someone that knows a little bit more than me. I want to show up to the room and feel that I'm the one that knows the most in the room. Absolutely fucking not. I go into my meetings. There are plenty of people on my team who know way more than me, right? And that's totally fine by me because at the end of the day, like, you should be hiring your fucking replacement. Now, when I look at my teams as well, like, diversity is a huge thing. Like, I want women. I want men. I want, like, different, you know, backgrounds, sexuality, religions, et cetera, because, again, like, when you start to ideate, like they're completely different point of views that are now coming to the table. But like for me, like I'm, you know, I am so not the dude that's like hiring because of your education and what school you went to. 
it's just I just think it's fucking bullshit. Like I don't care about your resume. I'd much more look at like the work that you've done. Um, and for me, in terms of what I do, like my big thing is like I just like broad thinkers, big thinkers, thinkers that know how to think out of the box. It's funny when I used to work at MySpace and I was hiring my team of developers there. The, the one question I would always say is I'd say, "Hey, um, what's your favorite website? Like, what's the website you go to on a daily basis?" They say, oh, "ESPN.com." All right, cool. Give me two seconds. And then I do a huge printout of the homepage of ESPN, like a sectional, like a section of ESPN, uh, then interior page, like an article page. Here's a whole box of markers. I'm going to give you about 30 minutes. Just draw a format or solution for a brand that's not like a typical like IAB standard solution. Sick. Like Think out of the top of your head. Yeah. That's a really fucking hard question. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard, right? But when in like nine times out of 10, it's like it's it, they're not going to win it. But there was like... There were times where it's like people like this one dude I'll never forget because I kept his shit. I don't have it now, but like I kept this thing. He came back out and he's like, can you give me three different, three more printouts of each page? Sure. I go back. This guy did like fucking cutouts and everything. He's like, okay, when this happens, this flops open and you see this. <laughs> this is the guy. <clears throat> you know, broad thinkers, big thinkers, people who know how to think differently. Uh, and, and quite frankly, like doing that means you have to have a lot of different types of backgrounds to kind of fill in. I mean- you know, I there's been times I remember even a couple of years ago working on a campaign that was going to touch multitude of countries, and I'm like thinking big ideas and everything. And it took one person uh, who worked out of the office in Africa who was like, "Well, actually, like in this region over here, like w- you can't do this type of solution because we actually really care about every single download that comes. So like Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff isn't doing like full like images. We're using text, right? Because every bit of so like how do you then? So how do you then start to build around the lowest common denominator? So it just changed my way of thinking entirely. But like, I didn't know that because that's not where I'm from and I don't live there and I don't grow up there. I don't experience some of the things that they experience. So again, like you have to have a team that is broad, Nick. The the, the ideas you're able to come up with are just tremendous, man. So actually, so this is an interesting, I I get in this argument, we're a little tangential, but you're the perfect brain for this. So it's fun. Um, How do you feel about generalists right now? Because I feel like there's kind of two different schools of thought presently, right? And like, I'm a big fan. So similarly to you, um, I appreciate all the work and energy that goes into higher ed and going to like cool schools and whatever. Um, I also have a very personal tainted view of how a lot of people get there, which is probably my, that's my trauma. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I've always kind of like felt like hiring for ceiling is the thing that is always the most interesting for me. And like, how high can you get? And for a long time, I've always kind of felt like the people that are really, really wide and maybe not as deep have a higher ceiling for me. Like, I like people that see everything. Maybe they're not killers at any one thing, but the fact that they can get wide on everything gives them that worldview. But there seems to be like a pushback on that right now where like people are looking for like like ninjas, like surgeons who can really do one thing. Like, where do you land on that? Just a curiosity. That's a really tough one, man. Because I'll say because like I am... Throughout my like first like two thirds of my career, my whole intent was I need to do a, as many things as possible. I was like a, a front end developer, then I was a product guy, then I was like a CD, and like then I did like rich media shit, and I like I hopped a lot. And what I found is it actually hurt me. Because when I was going to interviews, I say, hey, yeah, I do all five of these things. I'm like a pentathlete, right? And they're like, all right, that's cool, but we need to hire you for this one thing. So if you do five things that we have four other people doing these things, you're going to get kind of bored. Right. So you can be amazing, but we're going to just pass on you and go on to someone who just does that one thing right. To your point, the ninja in that space. 
it's a I think that really it really depends on the role, the type of role you're trying to bring this individual in for. I think at a more managerial senior level, I think that makes sense, right? Because then you're able to manage another group of individuals who are very good at very specific things. And now you can go broad and kind of pulling them up. But I mean, at a lower level, I think it becomes a little harder. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's the right answer. I just, I when it, when it comes to, because again, like that diversity of thought thing, right? Like, because that ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Like, I don't think in a perfect world, it doesn't matter where you're from. What what we need to know is we need to know that you think differently than me, than you. Like, we need that, that diversity of thought. And I, there is a part of me that feels like, specifically on the product side, that that generalist approach tends to get people with a wider view. Right. Because if you've had to do a lot of things, inherently, you've seen more shit, at least on paper, that would make sense. Versus if you're somebody who is like laser, laser focused, that's sick. But also that means you've missed some stuff. If you've got blinders on, there are there's a peripheral that you're not you're not privy to. But then, you know, I do think, you know, now specifically as like hard as some of the engineering stuff is, especially you, because you're pushing innovation in a lot of places where you're doing like brand new net new tech stuff. Like you probably need like surgeons who just do that one thing really well to implement the generalist idea, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you do. And it's again, it's 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 hard, man. It really kind of boils down to the type of role um, that you're trying to do, what it is that you're trying to build out. But again, I kind of lean back into like, I would much prefer my leadership be, be individuals who are broad. Absolutely. Yeah, which probably which is interesting, right? Because in order to be broad, you you would either need to, by the time you get to leadership. You've either done a bunch of stuff, which is why you're broad, or you started broad and got lucky and got brought up, which is yeah. definitely what happened to me. <laughs> like, like I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none of them by any stretch of the imagination. But well, good though, man. I, I think it's necessary though, man. You have to be. And here, you also have to realize, like now with technology, it moves so fucking fast. Yeah. I mean, look at the last six months, like Dolly Two and fucking Chat Chat GTP, and now it's like everybody and their mother is like a fucking expert in that, and you're like, what? It's like. It's it's crazy, but like in this day and age in advertising, you have to be, and if you are a ninja in one area, you have to be a type of individual that does have your ear to the ground and kind of has a purview of everything else that's going on. Like you have to, because if you're too laser focused on this one thing, there's going to be a lot of shit that kind of passes you by. Yeah. So how do you, like, how do you communicate through your teams to make sure that you can like, so you've got these people who are like solely focused and can crush this one thing at the lower level, mm-hmm. right? Executive leadership sort of driving through that. So when it comes to actually executing, like, do you put, is is there, do you believe in a, like, I don't want to say middle management layer because it's diminutive, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. is there a, communica- a communication layer in between that? Or do you think that leaders need to be talking like right to the source, like right to the hands-on code or execution or whatever? These are, I look across my team and I, I'll tell you, like, even like my senior leaders, they're all hands on. Okay. Like there's so there's, there's no one who is like, I'm talking to this person who's then going to tell this person, that person, everyone, everyone is hands on. I prefer that type of team environment, right? Because I think it, one is, you know, people who are on your team, people who are reporting to you, they want to know that you're just as vested as they are. Yeah. Right. So like, if we're like, we're on meetings and brainstorm meetings, most of the time, like chief creative officers are like, all right, here, you know, they're helping, you know, strategy brief the creative team. They're kind of setting direction for the creative team. And then they they leave, they go do their own thing. Creative team goes and ideates for two, three days and they come back and they present all the work to the CCO and he or she, you know, gives feedback and then you go through rounds. Like I I am in the weeds. I am in every fucking brainstorm meeting. 
So they're brainstorming for two, three hours. All right, cool, pull me in. And I'm brainstorming. Now, the one thing I don't like about that, and I always say too, is that now because I get involved, I always, the first thing I say when I present an idea is, hey, look, everyone needs to know, be very clear. I am not emotionally tied to my ideas. If yeah. you don't like my ideas, I need you to say loud and clear. It is shit. It is totally <laughs> fine. Yeah. I am okay with that. And we'll move on to the next. Right. Because what I don't want is people to think, oh, I got to let this guy shit pass because he's the boss and that's what it is. Absolutely not. You know, so, you know, again, we I like I like when you have teams of people that are in the weeds because I said I think that that sets a different tone for the rest of the organization. Yeah. It makes one believe that like oh, if this person's over here sweeping, you know, shit up next to me, then, you know, you, there's a different energy. There's different, different connection from that. Yeah, I think that's so. I I definitely agree, and I think I actually talked to uh, Calvin Carter about this on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Same deal, right? Like this idea of modeling behavior mm-hmm. and just how important it is. And what I am finding, which by the way I'm like very bullish on, I think it's great, is it's even more important with the younger generation. Oh, like yeah. I'm a fringe millennial, so like I'm barely on the edge. Like I I remember beepers, like I was here for that, <laughs> but that I also cool. had a computer most of my life. But I look like with Gen Z, like, and and definitely the younger generation, like we have kids roughly the same age, like they, like, if you don't do it too, it ain't happening for them. Like it just straight up and down isn't happening, which I think is interesting. And I'd love to hear your perspective on how that's going to affect the engineer creative product relationship. Because with ChatGPT as an example, right? Like now you've got all these things that can inherently kind of write code for you. Now it doesn't write good code yet, just to be clear. Right. And I don't think engineers are going anywhere. They're not. But how do you see that relationship? Like, how do you how do you navigate that space where when you can do because you are? Well, you actually are a little bit of a monster, though, because you can actually still code some stuff if you really want to. A little bit. (laughs) I mean, look, it's interesting. I mean, like there was also Dreamweaver. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Like in in, in Dreamweaver is the answer for developers. And it was like, oh, great. I can go in here. It's like fucking word and I could do stuff. But like. The end of the day, it was still was not perfect. I mean, tables are still a little fucked up. Divs are a little fucked up. You have to go in and have some general knowledge to go in and fix, adjust, et cetera, right? So, um, you know, I kind of look at this the same way. You know what I mean? And here, when we talk about as much as I love this younger generation that is on the come up, I also feel that expectations are way greater. Yeah. Right? And it's like, you know, like I'll, I'll never forget. I was interviewing someone, uh, two people for a job. And this one kid had like just graduated at a high school a couple years ago. Couldn't afford to go to college. Monster fucking developer, like monster developer, very shy. And then I met this other young lady who was like four months out from graduating from Harvard university. And like one of the first questions she asked us. So, so tell me before we get into the interview, can you tell me how much, um, this role is going to make? Because Literally, because a couple of my other friends are getting offers right now, and they're around a hundred, hundred and fifteen thousand. So, just just want to make sure we're we're good there before we actually get into the interview, dude. This is for a junior developer role, right? First job out of college, and I was like, "It's a pleasure meeting you." Yeah. <laughs> time. Uh, if that's the opportunity you're looking at, totally fine. Good luck. Um, but I don't think that's gonna work here. Right. Right. So, like, explicit, or even you know, you have the kids have been here. You know, first job and it's six months in, they're like, So I'm ready, I'm ready for my director position. Can you yeah. promote me now? I don't understand why she getting promoted. I say all this because I think that the only thing that, that generation generation, excuse me, needs to really learn is is patience. Yeah. 
right? Like I've been doing this shit for 24 years. Not to say that like that fucking matters, right? To each their own. Everyone's going to get there when they get there, some faster than others. But like patience goes a long way, right? And so now we start to talk about like bringing this back to like AI and whatnot, right? This is all like, you know, rushing to get the job done. Yeah. And AI isn't perfect for all of that. Right. People ask me all the time. They say, oh, my God, what are you going to do? Chat GTP is going to take over copywriter's job. No, it isn't. You want to know why? I tell people all the time, go and fucking get a, a good copywriter and someone who like you and I, who doesn't write copy. Yeah. Have them write on, you know, give them three minutes to output something on any specific topic. 50 times greater will be that copywriter. Yeah. Why? Because a copywriter knows the content to write in there to get a proper output. Yeah. Right. We're walking about talking about like whatever track and field. Right. This I might say, OK, you know, to the perfect 400 meter runner is X, Y, and Z. But like they're going to know, you know, the times of this and boom, 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 like how to structure that. So the output is good. So like just because you have access to these tools does not make you mean you're going to be fucking good at it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I'm building an AI video product and like that's the thing we talk about all the time. Like we're the language we always use is human in the loop. And mm -hmm. the best example is like if you just go look at like Dolly or Midjourney, which by the way, Midjourney is stunning. Like its stuff is stunning, but look close, right? There's always like an extra eyeball or like a, a weird thumb. Like there's always something a little bit left to center. And that's just how most of the AI is going to be for a while. And, and it's funny, I was just talking to somebody this weekend about uh, being a teacher in the time of ChatGPT and like how, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting, right? Because you can make an argument that I could make the argument that actually you should be teaching these kids to be better prompt engineers because fundamentally this thing's not going to go away, right? It's the same idea where when everybody told us, it's like, well, it's not like you're going to have a calculator around. Yeah, you are. <laughs> like, as it turns out, <laughs> we do. Yep. <laughs> so this idea of just like teaching people like creativity being the new currency is a really, really interesting thing. I think, you know, as a product person, I think about it a lot. You, somebody still needs to have the idea. Yeah, like you can ask the thing, build it. Well, think of a brand new idea in this space. And like, it's going to build off the corpus of knowledge of all the ideas that have already been had, which means it's derivative to some extent. Yep. Right. So you still need somebody out there going like, yeah, but this hasn't been done yet. Mm -hmm. Like we still own that process. Now getting and facilitating that through some of these tools, I think is really cool. And if we set our kids up well, I think they'll be able to accelerate growth in a way that we can't even imagine yet. Oh, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly agree to that. But totally. it's going to take time, though, man. This tech is still real young. It's still a baby. It's still a baby. It's still way, way, way early on, man. And people people, people keep talking about, like, Terminator shit. And like, oh, yeah, the, the neural net. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a ways away. A ways away. Yeah. Well, I think so. One thing I want to talk about with you, because you and I share this passion, is music. Yep. And, and the idea with the – I always love thinking about the – the structure of a band, the same way you think about the structure of an org, right? Uh -huh. Which is like the way it really works is that like, if you're not a musician, you don't understand that even though nobody knows the bass player's name, like that bass player is the band, right? Yeah. Like without the bass player and the drummer, none of this happens. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So then trying to figure out how to like, unless you're Eric Clapton. Yeah. He is a terrible <laughs> man. <laughs> that dude was a freak. There's a couple, there's a, like, listen, there's exceptions to every rule. Yeah. But this, like, again, this idea of coordination and this yep. idea of, it actually goes back to diversity and thought too, right? Like when you look at some of the best makeups of bands, like Dave Matthews is a bad example, but he's an easy one because like all of those musicians are wildly different types of musicians. Yep. 
right? Carter Buford and Stefan, like those guys classically trained versus like just monster, like drummer versus like crazy New Orleans saxophonist, like those type of things. When you put musicians like that in a room, they tend to go off with, with each other and they, they level each other up mm-hmm. versus if you get like, I don't want to pick on the pop punk scene, but like when you just put a bunch of good Charlottes together, you're going to get a lot of good Charlotte and it's going to be pretty like, that's why they weren't called great Charlotte. That's a bad joke, but I stand behind it. <laughs> so when, when like, how do you, how does, how is music shaped the way that you think about like actually building stuff? Cause I'm, I it had to play a role. That's a really good fucking question. Probably the first time anyone ever asked me that. <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. So music to me is actually more than creating teams. It's about how you create a product. It's like how you launch a product. It's how you market a, a thing. Because like like any good track, there is an there's an intro and there's like a, a, a you know your climax and then there's the the outro, right? And so like it very much so like how we launch products, man. It's just like you know, how do you ease your way in? How do you drive that kind of momentum, get that, drive that immense amount of emotion, et cetera, and kind of peel off? I don't know that I can answer how I would think about that in terms of like team structure, but I will say that like like any good band, right? You have to have the right pieces in the right place. Yeah. The right pieces that make the right, the most sense too. And I think that once you start to get into like an actual development of a product that becomes very tricky because like any good band, everyone has their own tendencies to be an asshole or not. Right. And so <laughs> how, do you, how do you get right to like, cause when you pull really talented people together, like I worked at Google it was fucking for like three and a half, four years. It was, it was great. But like people, when you get a lot of smart people in a room together, they're fucking assholes. Right. When everyone is like valedictorian and shit, by the way, I was not, but like, <laughs> Like, you know, all this like top school pedigree and Ivy League. It's like you, you get to start to have these kind of feelings where people think they're better than the next person. Right. So like personality plays a major fucking key in creating. Whatever. I would much rather have, you know, a team of B minuses that are all just good fucking humans and, yeah. and great personalities than a team of A pluses that are fucking assholes. You know what I mean? Yeah, and actually, there's a fun parallel there with with musicians too, right? Because you look at like the bands that like like the easiest one that comes to mind immediately is like Oasis. Yeah. Like, I don't care how good your music is, you guys suck. <laughs> like, you guys, you guys can't get your shit together. Otherwise, you could have been one of the biggest recording artists of all time, and instead, you know, you walked away in anger, as they said themselves. So good for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a challenge, man. I mean, but that, that's a, that's that's probably the biggest the biggest hurdle, right? How do you fit together a bunch of people that get along that want to spend time with one another? Yeah. I think there's something that is, you know, when, at least for me, I feel like you can always feel when the team didn't like each other. If you see the output. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's just like that weird, like, you know, I don't mean to be like, you know, weird hippie dippy do, but like, you just get that feeling in your gut where like, I don't think the team that built this liked each other. (laughs) (laughs) Energy. Yeah, it's that energy. But well, it's the same thing with music, right? Like when you see musicians play live, you can tell who's having a good time and who's doing the work. Oh, you absolutely right. Can. And like when you like jazz is the most fun because like in, in, to be good at jazz, you and that's kind of how like I love this example for product people. Like product management to me at its core, like you have to be a jazz musician because you are not in control. Mm-hmm. Like you are, you are waiting on. You got to see what kind of like what's happening in the back. Who's on drums? Like oh man, the piano's doing this tonight. Like you better be flexible and ready. Because oh, it's yeah. happening, it, like the music's going to happen to you. And if you're smart, it can happen for you and you can do something cool with it. 
Or you can walk off stage big mad because you were like, man, I couldn't find the, the I couldn't find the pocket once tonight. Mm-hmm. Like that's like that's product management one on one. It's like you're just gonna get your ass kicked all the time. Well, jazz too. It's also about being comfortable letting someone else take the lead. That's right, right. And that and that's very good point. And that's hard for a lot of people to do. Product people, especially. Product people, right? Especially like you know, it's your baby, right? You don't want to let it go. Absolutely. Yeah, I also think there's something interesting, which we don't have to do today, but there's something interesting about the evolution of musicians and, and bands and how like either growing together or growing apart. And I think that's a really interesting thing, specifically just because. For us, right, we've been in the industry for roughly the same amount of time. Like you're watching all these companies that you grew up with, and they they're very different companies than they, they used to be. Oh my god, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And oh, you yeah. look at and I'm not gonna point any fingers at certain leaders, but like there are some people who are still around that you kind of go like, Well, I don't know, is this really is this what you should be doing, or should you be doing something completely different at this point? Right. Like, and you can feel that in the product, and you can feel that in the companies too. And that's like such a weird vibe. Yeah, I don't want to call any. <laughs> I don't want to call any. Hey, we gotta be careful here. We gotta be careful. <laughs> one thing I say. No, so the, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, for I think it is. You have to. Uh, you have to. There's a time when it's you got to know when when to step aside and and let someone else kind of carry carry the reins. And yeah. I think it's it's difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, it's, it's so. One of the things I like, you know, I'm I'm out of advertising kind of, but one of the things I do miss about advertising specifically was the ability to like lend your voice to different problems all the time. Like that's a really fun thing to be able to like dive in, get really in the weeds of a thing and then go out and then go solve somebody else's problem. Because like to your point, like, you know, if you're trying to sell healthcare versus car insurance, like that's a very different mindset to have yeah. to be in at all times. Yeah, I can tell you, man, that is <clears throat> that is my favorite thing about being on the agency side. It's so good. It's like, you know, like one day, like, you know, one day I'm working on Progressive, the next day I'm working on Advil, the next day I'm working on Pfizer, the next day I'm working on like New Balance, it's, or Ford, it's, uh, it's fun, man. It's exciting, right? And I think it's, because I think the, the biggest problem for creatives is like, we, we can very quickly and easily feel trapped. Yeah. And it's like, and then you're like in the same box for two, three, four, five years. I think agency side just allows you to just flex so many more muscles, uh, like just more frequently it's, it's fun it's fun only thing i don't like about the agency stuff man is fucking timesheets is, is, is... <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it is the worst, man. that seems right all right well, i actually do mine soon because i'm about to get locked out of my email if i don't <laughs> <laughs> all right well listen i i I'm, I, lo- I love you so much man i'm so glad we got to do this but before we leave i do have a little questionnaire which was uh, spot, you know, sort of inspired by Bernard Pivot and James Lipton when he used to do inside the actor studio. So this is like my business version of the ten, the nine questions you need to know about everybody. Okay. So bullet round, just first answer, just whatever, whatever comes to your head. So a quote, a quote or concept that you love. Quote or concept? Oh, it's in my email, right? It's uh, creativity is the extent of your imagination. Love that. What's a quote or concept that you dislike or hate, if you would? Oh God. Um, this is going to sound fucked up when I say this. Uh, there's no I in team. <laughs> I hate when people keep fucking saying that. I mean, I mean, uh, look, here's the thing. There are times when when you got to kind of go off and do your own thing. And I get that to make the work better. But like, I just I just hate the overuse of that. Ugh, I hate that shit. I, maybe, I, maybe I'm just like burned from like hearing that shit as a kid all the time in sports. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, but there's there's just something interesting there though, right? Like it does devalue the importance of a of, of an individual. Like it's okay yeah. to be an individual and still be a teammate. You can be both. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fair. I like that. 
I love actually I love that. Yeah, nobody I, I like that. That's controversial. It's a good take. All right. Uh, a job other than your own that you would love to have. A job other than my own that a fucking man, a musician. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I knew I knew your answer to this one. <laughs> like being on stage with thousands of fucking people. Yeah. Like hanging on to your every word. I was like on uh Instagram last night and this I sound so fucking cheesy saying this. So like I was like I was chatting with Pusha T, right? Like because he was on tour in Europe. That sounds so fucking whack. No, I love Pusha. It's great. Listen, like, dude, like he was in, I think he was in he was in Paris yesterday and he had these posts and then like he's in fucking Paris there and people are hanging every fucking word. And then a couple days before that he was like in Germany or something like that. Or some of them like that. And they're saying all those words. I'm like, God damn, man, that's got to be a fucking amazing. Yeah, you can right. go to a place that doesn't speak the fucking language and they know every single word to your music. That's powerful, man. Yeah, that would drive. Yeah, that would be like, oh, I can't. I, I genuinely can't even imagine. All right. What's a what's a job other than own you would never want to have? Oh, my God. A teacher. Right. Because it's oh, that's fun. one of my answers, too. <laughs> it's so people don't. I mean. They're undervalued or underpaid. It's like they, they the teachers get shit on, and I feel so fucking bad for them. Right? They are they like they what they do makes the fucking world go round. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our entire future is placed solely on their shoulders, and for the most part, we've not set them up to succeed in any capacity. Absolutely. All right. What turns you on spiritually, creatively, or emotionally? Uh that's a really good question, man. I'd say two things. Music is one, right? Like it just gets me in a mood to just create um and and i think uh you know just being out in the world right because i think that it's funny it's like most of the times where i think of innovative solutions it's because i've run into a problem that i bumped into when i'm out doing a certain thing like fuck man this thing's horrible somebody <laughs> fix this thing right and then it just comes around so it's like being out and about man yeah. and music so. creativity out of necessity is great yeah, yeah uh what turns you off spiritually creatively or emotionally that's a really good question. I would probably say, um, that's a really good, probably just being stuck inside, man. Like I can't, I, I am I am a person that has to constantly be on the move. Like I, I don't stop. Like if you ask my wife, my wife is always like, well, you always feel like you need to be doing something, going someplace, creating something. Like it's just me. Like I can't, I, I have a hard time sitting still. Yeah, uh, fair enough. I, I resemble that remark. Uh, what is a product that you absolutely love? A product that I absolutely love. Uh, my God, I'm just going to, I mean, there's so many, but I'll I'll just lean into one that everyone knows. I think Netflix has done a fucking incredible job of entirely reimagining what TV is. They fucking, you want to talk about throwing a wrench into a fucking space? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, going from live to, but this, it's changed the world because even like in good and bad ways, right? Like my child, like our kids now, expect when they want to watch something it's like no no turn it on and here it is right now and yeah. we're going to leave off from where we left off last time we're like me and you man it was like saturday morning cartoons were like eight to ten that was it and there's a wrap or like fucking married with children friday night sunday nights eight o'clock to eight thirty like you run to your fucking tv and you don't miss it you miss it you're fucked and everyone talks about it at school and you just don't see it yeah. you know what I mean? yeah they've just it's incredible how they've just entirely reimagined what television is I, I agree. Dude, I, I, it's so funny now. I get so annoyed when I do. I, I watch sports. It's the only time I get commercials and I get them and I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah. dude, your whole life, this has been your whole life. Like you've had this for a small amount of time. The rest of your life, you had it. Uh, okay. What's a product? You don't have to name anything specific. I'm not trying to get you in trouble here, but what's a product that you wish was better? Oh man. A product that I wish was actually better. 
I don't know. TBD. I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. Okay. All right. I don't have anything that I really fucking can't stand. That's great. Listen, that's a good, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a great thing. <laughs> I can't help you on that one. I apologize. No, you're good. Okay. Last question. If All you right. could solve any one problem through the use of technology, what would it be? I mean, I hate to be this dude, but just like inclusivity, man. Like, you know, to just, just creating a better space for everyone, creating equal opportunity for everyone, everyone, not just people of color, like disabilities on Cause let's be honest too. Like when we talk about inclusivity, we never fucking talk about people with disabilities ever. Well, I will tell you this. Well, you can hate to be that dude. I am so profoundly fucking grateful that you are that dude. Thank you so much for your time today, my man. And uh, I hope everybody took as much out of this as I did, because I know I had a ton of fun. Yo, you're the best, man. I appreciate you. Thanks, man. Easy, man.